Good morning. Today we're sitting down with Ralph Short of Welcome Home Financial Partners. How are you today? I'm doing fine, Greg. How are you? I'm doing just dandy. So uh, we, in these podcasts, we just try and go through, get a little bit of your background, understand who you are and what got you to the position you're in here as a, as a self-made man. <laughs> That's a good question. There's not been a roadmap for me. <laughs> so let's, uh, where'd you grow up? Let's start at the beginning. I grew up in North Carolina. Um, I was in probably the first 10 years of my life and uh, outside of Charlotte. And then my father decided that we need to move to the mountains of Carolina. So we bought a 300 acre farm on New River and we had a construction group that uh, we used to build about 52 houses a year in addition to farming. Um, so that's kind of what my background was until uh, 1974 when I graduated from high school and all of a sudden uh, we were still building, but that's when the first crash of all the real estate is. So I decided to go to tech to become a veterinarian. <laughs> Fair enough, been around all those animals. But uh, that didn't work out too well, mainly because um, I had two jobs while I was at tech. I was showing cattle for tech. I was a student beef herdsman at the time, and I, I was showing cattle for tech. and. The second sophomore year, I was taking organic chemistry and the professor I had uh, was an English professor from England that was teaching organic. His grading scale was you had a quiz every Friday. There was no makeups. If you missed it, that's too tough for you and a final. Mm -hmm. So I had 90% of my grade on the quizzes, but I had to miss 75% of those because I was showing cattle for tech at the state fairs. and. West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, Maryland. So guess what? I'm not a veterinarian now. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what did you finish with at Tech? I finished in animal science, uh, had a degree in that, and I started managing a 10,000 acre spread up in Falkir County. Uh, we had a thousand brood cows, registered horn Herefords. And um, after he kind of straightened it out, the uh, owner decided it was time to have a dispersal sale and get out of the business. <laughs> so uh, in that period of time, I had gotten married and I knew that I needed to do something. And uh, I had job offers from Wyoming Hereford Ranch to uh, Brown uh, Cattle Ranch down in Texas. And uh, the guy that was managing the dispersal sale told me, he said, Ralph, if you don't like moving around too much, then you need to get out of this business because you're good at what you do. But every three years, you're probably going to have a dispersal sale, so you'll never have a very long length of time in any of this profession. So I decided to go back and get a master's in finance. Um, I've always enjoyed economics and finance and making money, because that's what it's all about. Sure. Did you go back to tech? I went back to tech, but my uh, employer at the time was a graduate of Yale, and he told me, Ralph, he said, I can get you into Yale. I can get you into Harvard. I said, I just got off horseback in my spurs and uh, chaps, grounded up some cattle for him. And I said, do you really think I look like the, that kind of person? I said, I'll just go back to tech. And he goes, oh no, I'll get you into Wharton. I said, Henry, I'm going back to tech. So I did that. Uh, they told me it'd take me four years to get a master's. And I looked at him, I said, I'm paying for this. I'll be done in a year. And I was done in a year with 
the classroom work, but I took another quarter to do my thesis. Mm -hmm. So then I, that was in uh, 82 when I finished up and that was the year <laughs> of another recession. And so I had to go back and get another job, manage another farm for a German group. And um, after two years, uh, I had an offer from you know, American Bankers Association to uh, do some work with their ad credit division. And I told the owners and they said, well, don't do that. We're gonna make you managing partner, fly over to Germany and we will um, make you managing partners. So me being naive, thinking that everybody was honest in this world, <laughs> I did that uh, and flew to Germany. And the next morning when I woke up to have breakfast with the owners, he goes, go home and sell operation, we're done after I turned the job down. And I said, well, how long has this, you've known about this? And he said, about a year. And I said, well, what's the deal? And he said, well, it's just what we're going to do because I found out then that he had bought this property to go against his income in Germany. He wanted it to be at a loss. Yeah. Well, guess what? Since he bought the place, they changed, they changed the, uh, tax laws in Germany, so he couldn't write off any losses outside of Germany against German income. So after a week with um, German accountants and German lawyers, I just uh, told him I'd have to go home and uh, talk to my wife before I give him a decision. I already knew that I was not going to do this, what he wanted me to do. So uh, I decided I would never, ever allow somebody to control my destiny. It was going to be based on me. If I failed, it was going to be because of me, not because somebody else controlled what I wanted to do. Long so, story, right? <laughs> no, it was good. So in the, in the middle of that, you, you, you'd gotten married. How'd you meet your wife? Uh, I met my wife a year after she met me. <laughs> she, um, I was a pledge master for Block and Bridal Club, which she was uh, trying to get into. Um, and she saw me there. I didn't know who she was. And um, she wanted to meet me uh, with some of my fraternity brothers. And uh, he told me about that. Next thing I know, we were in a class together and she kept punching me and saying, you're a cult, you know that. <laughs> and so that was the, about the quarter before she left and graduated from tech. So I was still there for another year. And we dated while she was in Chicago and I was in Blacksburg and I moved to DC area with the farm. So we, managed back and forth from there until she told me that uh, it would be better if we got married she asked me to marry her and i like like i told her i said the worst the best thing i ever done in my life was to say yes to your proposal the worst thing you've ever done was be stupid enough to ask me <laughs> so but she did lie to me she did say that it would be cheaper to be married than what we were doing it didn't work out that way no i've, I've heard that line but i don't think you're that's correct and you sum it all up. Um, any children? I have two sons <clears throat> and I always wanted boys because I'm the eldest of nine kids. I got seven <laughs> sisters. So that's why I'm completely nuts. <laughs> um, so, but I do have um, several women in, in my life besides my wife and my mother and my sisters. I've got a granddaughter uh, and there's only one in this world that matters to me. <laughs> and we're not going to say who it is, but I think you can probably imagine who it is. I will keep my mouth shut. Um, that's so good. So as we go through and, and you've, you've started this family, 
what then led you from, you know, you, you'd indicated, you know, the Germans had worked you over. So what was the first leap to starting your own business? What would you do? I happened to apply for a job position in an insurance business. Uh, and of course, Greg, you know that you have to take all these tests if you're with a big firm. And the first thing they told me was, you're not fit for this business because you're not an extrovert. You're not this and you're not that. And I said, okay. So I went out and got my license anyway and started it on my own. Um, got contracted with an independent uh, company and just took off from there. Over the years, you so you've spent a lot of time in Fauquier County, um, have some history in, in, as you said, in South West Virginia. What brought you to Central Virginia, Orange, Locust Grove, and now to more uh, metropolitan Richmond, uh, which we're just outside now in, in uh, Chesterfield? Well, basically, uh, I was traveling up in the Northern Virginia area when I first got into these businesses. And my wife had two young kids, or we had two young kids. She was raising them, and she kind of got tired of me leaving on Monday morning, coming back Friday, and she's had the kids, and they were two and four years old at the time. So I promised her we would kind of get uh, a little bit closer together so I wouldn't have to travel so much. And uh, that's kind of why we moved up into the uh, Central Virginia area from Lynchburg. We were in Lynchburg, but most of my business at the time was coming out of the other state of uh, <laughs> Northern Virginia. So we wanted to get together because uh, family's the most important thing to me. So I didn't want her to, or the kids to have a be orphans, let's just put it that way. Sure, sure. Work orphans are just the same as orphans in a lot right. of ways. That's right. Um, so you started your, the original business in 84, 85? 84, 95, yep. Okay. And was there any catalyst or just your, your drive that kept you to grow? Or, or were you, did you ever have a lull? And then there was a catalyst that said, I need to really get this moving forward or something that's stuck. Well, uh, a couple things I would say. I mean, I survived after I got my securities license in 87. I survived the Black Monday crash of 87. Um, and I just knew there was so many people that didn't understand what was going on. Mm -hmm. And one of my main goals has always been to understand where you are in your financial journey because it is a journey. We don't all come out from our mother's wombs knowing everything that we need to know. Uh, and that's what I still find today is that people and companies don't inform their employees well enough to make rational decisions when it comes to financials. The number of people that I have to convince to participate in their 401k with a matching program is unbelievable to me. But I think one of the biggest things that that precipitated my desire to continue this was when a friend of mine, best friend, um, died after I'd written him a um, $400,000 life insurance policy uh, after he paid two premiums um, and he was killed by a drunk driver who happened to be his brother-in-law who died at on his first wedding anniversary so you can't convince me that what we do doesn't affect people so 
I guess that's why I'm still in the business. No, no, it, it matters it, yeah. for sure. When when we get into the life insurance business, which for those that don't know, that's where I started in this business. Having that connection, having the ability to reach people to say mm -hmm. this is a real thing and it can happen at 78 or it can happen at 28. Yeah. You don't know. That's right. Um, I, I joke with people. I said if there was an expiration date on your birth certificate, this would be a lot easier. That's right. But it's difficult. Or the other thing is, a lot of people ask me that they don't want to leave any money to anybody because mm -hmm. they want to spend it on. I said, well, that's fine. I can tell you how to do it. It's just mathematics. You tell me how much you got, but your question, to, uh, my question to you is, when are you going to die? Because now I can tell you how much you need to take out. But nobody can give me that answer when they're going to die. I'm going to say maybe they suicide. Yeah. <laughs> then it may not pay. <laughs> there is that. There is that. So after, after establishing a... a a well-known business in, in, in Central Virginia four years ago, five years ago now, you took over what is now Welcome Home Financial. Yeah. Uh, what led to that decision? Hmm? What led to that decision? Well, it was one of those things that my son had came to me and wanted to uh, get into the business with me. And I told him that I um, didn't really know that was the right thing for him to do. And after two years, he finally convinced me that he wanted to do this. And I said, if you want to do this, this is what you need to do. And he went out and did that. And I said, all right, for us to maintain our, you know, financial thing, then we need to expand. We need to grow this business. So I basically bought the business for him, uh, thinking that we would all be able to have two separate businesses at the time. But this business has taken off because of what we've been doing, that we just kind of combined everything together. So. That's what really precipitated us buying the business down here um, because we needed to expand. Because if you're not growing in business, then you're dying. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not ready to die yet. <laughs> Even though a lot of people think I need to be because I'm so old, you know, Grant? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you've got too much to do. So with, with all of this that you've got going on, what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies? Well, believe it or not, one of my biggest dreams has always been to hike the AT. Uh, even though I'm older than God or older than dirt, that some people think they don't think I can do that. I still like whitewater uh, canoeing, rafting. Um, in fact, my sons, when we were all in scouts together for 15 years, uh, I used to take about a 70 mile trip with um, about 15, 16 scouts every year, uh, 70 miles down New River since I grew up on New River in North Carolina. Um, and we'd take, after the canoe trip, we'd go over to the New River Gorge mm -hmm. and go rafting. And my boys used to get really upset because they would try to hire me to be a guide the next year. <laughs> so I still like doing that. Uh, I've got my grand daughter into it so we're we're still water people we still river people um the ocean's fine but i'd rather be on a river uh still like to fish when i get an opportunity um other than that i mean i do a lot of cooking uh, i've been offered jobs with five-star restaurants before after i catered events for some people so I don't know what else to say to you about that. That's kind of what I do. It's just, <laughs> do I it just, all. I just want to be myself. Like some people tell me, said, 
well, you're different than anybody else. You need to be doing this and doing that. I said, I can only be who I am because I don't know. I'm not smart enough to be somebody else. Yeah. Being authentic yeah. is the easiest thing, quite honestly. It's the only thing I can do. <laughs> uh, I want to talk briefly, jump back just, just briefly with, with Welcome Home um, Financial. It's my understanding that, as you said, if you're not growing, you're dying, that the business has seen uh, quite a significant jump as a result of some marketing you guys have done. So tell me, talk to me a little bit about that. Well, um, started out uh, with the marketing plan down here, just trying, putting our toes in the water with TV. And uh, we started doing some 30 second spots. We started doing some two minute spots. And um, I was told that they would always, you would always know what kind of response you would get the longer the sessions are. So we tried it out and believe it or not, it started getting some tractions. So um, COVID hit and that was something. And like I tell people, you have to make lemonade out of lemons. Nobody anticipated COVID and what it would do to this business. And I knew no matter what business you're in, you cannot do the same thing based on what just happened. So it, it was probably a blessing in disguise because would I be where I am today if I maintained what I had been doing? No. So I knew I needed to make some change and that was the spot where it participated in me to take some time to work on my business and not in my business, correct? That's my famous saying, right? I've never heard it before. <laughs> Say that one more time. <laughs> I wish I could do more of it, to be honest with you, but that was what precipitated me saying, all right, what we're doing in marketing now, we need to figure out because of the changes in the environment, what we need to do. So we expanded about twice to three times our spend on TV. We went from a uh, three to four minute spot to a 30 minute show. And once we did that 30 minute show, we have people believe this or not, that they actually set their DVRs to watch our TV shows. <clears throat> and the, the one that most of them do is 7.30 on Saturday night on NBC 12 at, at Richmond, mm -hmm. because that's the one that's always constant. Then we have some scattered throughout the week, but they DVR. It's, <clears throat> I've actually had people, I talked to them on the phone and said, oh, I'm talking to the movie star. What can I do? Oh my God, can I get your autograph when I come in? But no, I love an application. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think the biggest thing is we could not have maintained our growth because my main thrust has always been around 20% growth. Mm -hmm. If I can do that, I'm satisfied. Last year, it was over 50%. And I chalked that up to the TV. Yes, it costs a lot of money, but let me just tell you, it's well worth it if you can get a spot there. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you, it's not a show that I would say it's a sales show. This is more or less information. This is why you need to understand why it's important for you to come in. I mean, how many people know what to do when they retire? Because guess what? Like I tell people, number one, I'm so dumb as the old dumb country boy. The best teacher I've ever had has been experienced. Mm -hmm. How many people ever retire more than one time in their life? I know a few. There are no few, but not very many. 
So now that you've got all these different decisions to make and you don't know what to do, and guess what? If you are lucky enough to work for a company that's got a pension, they're gonna give you the paperwork, slide it to you and say, you gotta fill this out. They're not gonna help you or discuss with you what you need to do. So that's kind of what we do is explain to people what they need to do and what they're about to do. We go through an income planning process where it says, we're gonna take your income we're going to take your expenses and see how good you are in retirement. Mm -hmm. And people's never seen anything like that before. And it's just like last night. I had a client that was coming in. We had everything pulled together for it on the retirement income. And she goes, oh, well, you didn't um, talk about my college loan. And I said, well, you didn't tell me about it. I said, how much is it? And she looks at me and says, it's $400,000. Is she a doctor or an attorney? No, neither. She's a nurse. Nurse. So, but that's kind of where we go with these programs because people need to understand, you know, the nuances within retirement. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't understand what RMDs are. We have some people that need to take money out before they are age 72, but we also have some that they've done a good job of keeping their debt down. They've got a good job and they've saved a bunch of money um, and they don't need to take it out. Mm -hmm. And they get upset because they want to give it over to their legacy to their kids and they're upset at me because we tell them they have to take it out. And I said, <laughs> I'm not telling you that. <laughs> federal the government. federal government's doing that. They want their money. You've had it long enough. <laughs> That's right. So uh, it's always interesting to the amount of experience that people either have or lack when it comes to dealing with stuff like this. And a lot of people think that what we do is just about investments. No, the biggest thing that you need to understand when you come in retirement, it's not about that big pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that you got. Now you got to flip that switch from trying to accumulate that pot of gold to how do I get it back to me the best way. And the other thing that people need to understand is when you stop work, whenever, whatever time that is, you're responsible for your paychecks now. Nobody else. Yeah, you can rely on some of the Social Security, but is that gonna be enough for you to live off of? Probably not for most people. So now it depends upon how well you've done. I mean, most people need to come in five to 10 years before they actually wanna retire so they can get things in place. That's right. But we've had a lot of people call in from the TV and say, oh, I retired yesterday, I only need to come in, I've already signed the papers and you know, <laughs> I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, somebody that had retired and they, they came in and we wanted to do such and such. And uh, he goes, well, I already signed the papers for the pension and I, this is what I did. That took survivorship. Well, because of where he worked, um, he could take survivorship and give it to his son or whoever it was. Um, most people is just their spouses, mm -hmm. but uh, didn't realize at the time because he took that survivorship, he's got a, he had a reduction in his pension amount. Significant. <laughs> but that's fine. If you want a survivorship, you do have to pay for it. But because of where he worked, there was a union contract that he could get survivorship without having to take that cut in pay, but he had already signed off on the pension and he didn't, couldn't oh, make any. So that's why people need to, go and talk to somebody, get a second opinion before yeah. you actually sign the dotted line. 
Well, and it's not something that's taught in the schools in any level. You know, in the same way, I mean, you got 15 minutes on how to write a check when I was in eighth grade. Right. I mean, yeah. People don't talk about it. And it's supposed to be handed down from families, but people don't talk about politics and money. So well, the, nobody knows how to do it. Yeah. The other thing I would say to you, and I have a lot of people that start apologizing to me that they didn't do a good job. And you didn't know this. And I said, let me just explain something. When I got out of college, there wasn't anything in retirement planning because it was always pensions. Mm -hmm. And then the 80s hit, and now they, they're taking the pensions away, started to, because the companies couldn't afford to keep continue to pay for it, and they put the burden back on the people's shoulders. And what I mean by that is this. Now you have to have your own retirement check coming to you from your 401ks, your IRAs, things like that. But they weren't available to people that had, were, were retiring 10 years ago. Right. So don't beat yourself up too much. And I explain that to people. And you're right, Greg. Nobody understands anything about because we we were not taught about it unless you went to a finance school or anything like that. Yeah. So just don't beat yourself up, but go to somebody that you can feel comfortable with because there's too many charlatans out here. Well, I'll wrap up with this. and appreciate you taking the time. I would just... Uh, echo what you've said and interview a couple folks, you know, don't go to the person, first person that your coworker recommends or your, you know, neighbor or whatever, or what interview I, people. It's important. Or what I would also say is don't take that advice around the water cooler or your brother-in-law who might be working at McDonald's. What do they know about everything? That's right. That's okay. it. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Ralph. All right. Thank you.